All right, you may be seated. Good morning. My name is Jesse. I am the youth pastor here at Central Heights Church. Uh, I know maybe like me, you're a bit disappointed that Tim's not speaking. Um, I know I'm especially disappointed about that as I'm up here, uh, but I'm also very excited. So I know we've already prayed and, and worshiped together, but would you join me uh, one more time as we get started this morning? Father, we are grateful for the space to be able to worship you, to think about you, to talk with you, and to open up your word and, and see how you want to speak to us this morning. God, I, I can speak to, to ears this morning, but I ask that you would speak to hearts this morning, and that these next couple minutes would be so fruitful for us to see who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. Well, I don't know uh, how you typically celebrate Christmas. Uh, I know for me growing up, uh, Christmas was kind of strange because for me and my immediate family, we lived uh, a considerable distance away from the rest of our extended relatives. And uh, so if, if we ever wanted to get together at Christmas, what we would have to do, or somebody would have to do, is travel a decent amount of time, uh, either by air or by land, to uh, get together for that time. And I remember this one Christmas in particular, I was in middle school, I think. Uh, we decided as a family, my, my mom and dad, my brother and I, we were going to drive 15 hours to spend Christmas with my grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins, and it was going to be a big family get-together uh, in northern Alberta. And I was, like, I was excited for this because, you know, there's going to be snow there. Uh, there's going to be just a bunch of people that we don't typically see at Christmas time. This is going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I remember we, we got there, and my grandparents live on a farm, and so uh, there's lots of exciting stuff to do that we couldn't normally do when, when living in the city. And so we, we found uh, that they've got a bunch of snowmobiles there. Uh, we call them skidoo. I know you guys don't really have these here, do you? They're like, uh, you know, you get to drive on snow with them. There's like, you know, a track and an engine. Some of you kind of know what I mean. Anyway, so... Uh, my cousins and my brother and I decided, hey, we want to go for a rip on this thing. Uh, and not only that, we want to up the ante a little. We're going we're gonna to take an inflatable tube and we're going to tie a rope to it. We're going to tie that rope to the skidoo and we're going to go just for a rip on this thing with somebody riding the tube, kind of like you would do on a boat here, I guess. Uh, just this big inflatable thing on the back. And this is going to be a lot of fun. And so we get all suited up. It's cold, it's snowy, there's fresh powder to, to go blast through. And so we, you know, we get our boots on, our coats on, and everything, and we're going out there, and we're going to go and do this, and it's going to be an adventure. And, and I had decided I was going to be the first one on the tube because it looked like a lot of fun, and this is just going to be amazing. Uh, well, we're, we're getting out there to, to go and hop on this thing. We're going to have three guys on the skidoo, which is kind of squishy and weird, and then I was going to be on the tube. And uh, my, uh, as we're walking to go and do this, uh, my uncle intercepts us in a very kind of manly, uncle-ish kind of way, uh, he, and these are his words, so don't email me after. He's like, like what are you idiots doing? And, and we're like, whoa, 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 what's going on? Like, we're just, like the, the tube thing's not that bad. And he wasn't talking about that. He looked at us and he goes, yeah, you guys are wearing your, your snow gear and all that, but none of you guys got helmets on. And that was in, in particular important because if you know how we typically operated heavy uh, machinery like this, uh, helmets are pretty crucial. And he's actually got one in his hand. Uh, there wasn't enough for all of us. He's like, at least the guy on the tube's got to be wearing one of these. So he shoves it into my chest. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Like, a, I'm, Yeah, of course. I mean, we were going to grab that later. Um, 
And so I put this thing on, and we just, we just go flying on this thing. And when it doesn't take long, we're bouncing through ditches, and there's powder flying everywhere. It's cold, but it's fun. And, like, I, and I don't feel the cold on my face because i got this nice helmet on. Uh, but it doesn't take too long. Maybe one or two minutes into this thing, uh, the tube hits something sharp enough to completely deflate it in a single moment. It just... And, and as that happens, you can picture me, uh, the position I'm in in comparison to the ground changes rapidly. Like I, I am no longer upright sitting like I'm, and kind of hanging on. Like I am full on just heading to the ground. And specifically on the ground, there was a tree trunk and this tree trunk collided with my skull. Pretty hard, actually. And I don't remember my head ever being this much physically in pain. And uh, I remember I'm laying there, and one of my first thoughts is like, I'm just like, the skidoo had stopped, and everything had just paused. I'm just laying there, and I'm like, my uncle just saved my life. Like, if I didn't have this helmet on, oh boy. Uh, now, for sure, I wasn't going to go and tell him this, obviously. Like, oh man, thank you so much. You saved my life today. Like, if you hadn't had, given me that helmet thing, that would have not worked. Like, actually, I didn't, didn't, we didn't talk about this at all, really, to any. I, you know what occurs to me? My wife hasn't even heard this story. I I'm alive. It's, it's kid. Um, but uh, you know, it's, it's just one of these collisions that happened at our at a Christmas gathering that Christmas that was not good. And maybe for you, you know, the idea of things colliding at, at Christmas is is not unfamiliar. Uh, you know, there's the uh, the personalities that maybe collide. Uh, say at the at the Christmas dinner table, you know, uh, Dad's got those jokes because he's Dad, and just just, just rubbing you the wrong way. Uh, you know, your brother-in-law, just oh, that personality, he's just kind of arrogant. I don't like that. You know, this this, eh, this stuff that's just you know collisions and stuff with personality. Maybe it's uh, expectations of you know what you're gonna do at Christmas, especially when you're newly married. You got you know one set of traditions and another set of traditions, and, and those are gonna collide, and you kind of gotta choose. Oh, what what are we doing on Christmas Eve? We're gonna do that. Or, or, or we're opening gifts what day? Or, or how is this all going? You know, there's, there's stuff that typically collides at Christmas. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. But at the first Christmas, there were realities, there were things that collide, sometimes in inconvenient ways, sometimes in uncomfortable ways, and seemingly impossible ways, when heaven and earth meet together at the first Christmas, when God and man collide, when the infinite comes and takes the form of an infant, these things are strange but beautiful. We're starting a new series today called Beautiful Collision, and what we want to do over this Christmas season, the next couple of weeks, is look at what are these things that uniquely come together at Christmas time, unlike any other time of the year, and other at no other point in the gospel story do we see such, such radical ideas, such amazing things come together. Because see, as, as we're counting down the days to Christmas in 2017 with our you know, Advent calendars and eggnog lattes and all that, heaven was counting down to collision at the first Christmas. And today we're going to look at, at one of these collisions, and it's the collision of wrath and rescue. Specifically, God's wrath, wrath, and our rescue. Now, I know wrath uh, doesn't seem like a seasonal favorite thing to talk about. Like, we're going to talk about God's wrath. We, you invited me from community Christmas to come here. We're talking about wrath of God. Like, what's going on here? But I, my hope is that over the next couple minutes, 
as we look at, at God's heart, as we look at, at his righteousness, his holiness, at his love, that both wrath and rescue will help us paint an amazing picture of God and, and better appreciate how good our good news is. Because our bad news in the gospel story is actually really bad. So our text this morning is going to be Isaiah 53, hundreds of years before the first Christmas. You can turn with me there if you want. Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, we're going to jump around a bit in Isaiah 53, but specifically we want to look at verses 4 to 6. Now, this is a uh, promise, a prophecy, a, a vision that a man named Isaiah gets hundreds of years before Jesus ever comes on the scene in Israel. And, and what's happening here is, is God is promising a rescuer to come. And so when we see uh, these, these words here, he, uh, he's going to do this, we're, we're talking about, who we're talking about is Jesus. And here's what it says in Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3, about Jesus. That he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And then verses 4 to 6 are our focus this morning. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes... We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I realize there's a lot of kind of big churchy terms in there like chastisement, transgression, iniquity, and all that. And we'll kind of unpack some of that there. But what's, what's going on here? Why, why are we leaping into the middle of, of this book and, and reading this? What's the surrounding context for which this is needing to be written? Because why, why would there need to be a rescue happening? What is there needing to be rescue from? Well, when God creates a perfect and good world at the start of our gospel story, something happens that breaks that. Humanity rebels against God. We call that sin. And what that does is it separates us from God. It, it ruins everything. And God knows in, in his holiness and in his righteousness, he is going to have to deal with this. Now, I know God's wrath sounds like maybe like an Old Testament kind of old-fashioned, churchy kind of fear tactic to, yes, to think about, you know, maybe considering our ways. But I want us to consider it in, in an actually a biblical way. Uh, J.I. Packer, uh, one who wrote uh, a Christian classic, he, he gives us a kind of a helpful picture as to what the Bible's talking about when it talks about God's wrath. He says, it's never the capricious, self-indulgent, you know, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. Like, we, we're driven by emotion and feeling, and we fly off the handle, and, and our, our anger, our wrath is unpredictable and, and often not fully justified, not planned out, not, not considering all the variables. That's not what God's is. Packer says it is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. 
See, what we believe about God is that he is objective, moral, good. And so if he actually is good, if he is actually worthy of worship as a good and glorious and holy God, he has to take this position against sin. He has to, in his righteousness, treat sin seriously, treat evil and injustice seriously. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about God's wrath. See, that's the kind of earlier context. God wants to restore all things. And if he's going to restore all things, it's going to mean removing evil. It's going to mean removing injustice and sin and transgression and iniquity and all of this, which is actually a good thing. We don't want that in our world. We want that restoration and wholeness that God wants to bring. The problem is for us is that we've got that in us as well. That sin, that rebellion against God. And at the first Christmas, if we were to jump ahead to the the other side of the the context of Isaiah 53, an angel is going to arrive with the arrival of Jesus and announce to these shepherds in Bethlehem in Israel, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. We've sung about peace. We've lit the peace candle here this morning. And what we need to understand is that the process for peace from Isaiah's perspective is going to involve punishment. Because God in his righteousness and in his wrath is going to need to get rid of all that is evil. And that's why I'm astounded and amazed by Isaiah 53. Because it says, upon him, in 53.5, was the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace. When we hear glory to God on the highest and on earth peace with the arrival of Jesus, what we should be realizing is that he's taking this for real. He's actually coming to do this. Take on himself the punishment. Face God's wrath to bring peace. Not just an absence of conflict or chaos or wars in the world, but full wholeness, the way God already had intended from creation. John, later on, will describe Christmas uh, this way in 1 John chapter 4. He says, uh, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Okay, so we're going, okay, we've got wrath. That's a big, weird, churchy thing. We've got transgression, iniquity. That's a big, churchy thing. Now you're throwing this propitiation at us. What's that? Well, Packer can help us with that too. And he helpfully describes it this way. It's, it's simply a sacrifice that averts wrath through expiating sin and canceling guilt. It is an atoning sacrifice through the payment of Jesus with him experiencing all that Isaiah 53 is talking about. It's not just John that that writes this. Paul will pick up on this idea as well in Romans 3, saying that Jesus was put forth as a propitiation. Jesus is going to take this on and absorb God's wrath so we don't have to. I wonder maybe if we need to kind of define this a little bit differently. We're maybe going, okay, this is is all really heavy stuff for a 9 a.m. service. What is going on here? Uh, Let's let's maybe think of this in sort of a uh, bit more of a Christmassy kind of way. So uh, we, we have, uh, most of us are familiar with Santa Claus, and what Santa Claus likes to do, uh, culturally speaking, is he's got a philosophy about Christmas where it goes, you know, I'm going to make a list, 
I'm going to go to the trouble of even checking it twice. I'm going to you know, write down everybody's names in the world. Uh, and then I'm going to go back and double check this whole thing. No one's going to be missed. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to find out who's naughty or nice, good or bad. And why he wants to do that, I guess, is because he wants to give people what they rightly deserve. So for the good people, he's like, hey, you guys, yeah, we're going to, we're going to dump the, the gifts on you. You're going to get the VR goggles and the hoverboards and all the other stuff from Community Christmas. That's going to be great and, and good and all that. Uh, and the, the, the people that aren't good, though, and this is strange to me, he not only... Uh, ignores them. He just doesn't, like, he actually goes out of his way, climbs all up in their chimneys, and he's like, you know what, I'm, I'm not just going to forget these people. I'm actually going to go and give them something, too. And I'm, what I'm going to give them is not going to be the gifts. It's going to be coal. Like, you know, hard, kind of, you know, like, kind of like, uh, kind of like this stuff right here. Kind of like the, the good old, you know, barbecue enthusiasts, uh, charcoal uh, stuff that is going to turn my hands blacker than I realized, and it's just going to be just not good. Like, he's not, he's not going to ignore uh, and just be like, ah, oh, those people don't deserve anything. No, he's going to go, they deserve something, and it's going to be something bad. Like, I, I want to teach them a lesson here. I suppose if, if you're uh, like barbecue, either way you're, you're set, because good or bad, you're getting this, I guess. But um, what, what, and, and it's all about, and the, and the whole cultural philosophy here about Christmas is that you're going to get what you deserve. But Isaiah 53's Christmas, 1 John 4's Christmas, the gospel Christmas is so much better than that. See, what we read is that upon this Savior, upon this rescuer, what he is going to do is he's going to take the garbage of human error, the garbage of human sin, the stuff that was never intended to be there. He is going to bear our griefs, He's going to bear our sicknesses and sorrows. That's going to be laid down on him. He's going to bear our transgressions or our rebellion. And, and he's going to put that on himself. First Peter 2, we'll come back to that later, that he himself in his body will bear our sin. So that's also being laid on him. And, and man, it's just overall our rebellion our transgression, all of this stuff that was never supposed to be a part of the story, all being laid on him. The words in here that I see of upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. See, our Christmas, our good news is, is really good because the bad news is so bad. God's wrath towards sin has to judge this, has to punish it, has to take care of it, has to obliterate it. All of this garbage has to go if the, if the restoration of the world is going to happen. But what he does to do that is he sends his son at Christmas and at Christmas dumps all of what we deserve on Jesus. All of it poured out on him. That is what we deserve. Romans 8 will tell us that God condemns sin in the body of Jesus. And describes all of this hundreds of years before it happens in Isaiah 53. The Lord has laid on him the rebellion of us all. So that one day when Jesus, he arrives at Christmas, goes to a cross, 
to the point where people will say, man, if God's really with that guy up there, let God rescue him. But God does not rescue Jesus from the cross so that he can rescue you and me through the cross. And he doesn't rescue Jesus from Christmas. He rescues us through Christmas. Him taking us all on himself, dying the death that we deserve as our substitute. That is mercy. We don't get what we deserve. Jesus didn't deserve this. We did. But our good news is even better than that. Not only do we not get what we deserve, mercy, Jesus comes back from the dead and gives us what we do not deserve. And what we do not deserve is the gift. We deserve the coal. But he gives us the gift. That's grace. All wrapped up in this forgiveness, love, freedom from sin, eternal life, the Holy Spirit that we've spent weeks talking about. Our good news is that Jesus gets what we deserve and we get what Jesus deserves. Is that not amazing news this morning? That is our gospel story. Spoken. And then the collision of God's wrath and God's rescue comes, and it is beautiful. When we properly understand all of these things, when we see them all, when, we, when, when Romans 5 even comes and describes that, you know, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still his enemies, sinners, Jesus saves us. We are saved from his wrath, Romans 5, 9 tells us. When we understand the magnitude of these two realities colliding, that ought to lead to some natural responses. So I want to close this morning by, by telling us that wrath and rescue should lead to reflex in us. Natural responses that come out of us understanding the gravity, the importance, the significance of this historical event spoken hundreds of years before the first Christmas being fulfilled in God coming down and leading to this rescue mission. The first response, the first reflex that we should have is that we should, number one, trust that if God says something, he's going to do it. I love that in Isaiah 53, the word surely is in verse 4. Almost as if it had already happened. It's almost written like it's past tense. God is speaking this hundreds of years before Jesus, and it's like, surely he is going to do this. Maybe that's, an, maybe that's all you need to hear this morning. There are promises of God in his word that, that we've either forgotten or neglected or just kind of floating in the back and we're going, God, are you really going to deliver on these? The collision at Christmas reminds me that if God says something, he is going to do it. Our, our community Christmas last night, our, our kids drove this point home so well that there's one thing we know, that God keeps his promises. I love that. That's what Isaiah is speaking for us too. Reflex number two. Uh, this, because of, of, of the context of the story here, God didn't just, not only is his wrath not just a spur of the moment thing, his rescue isn't either. It was long term planned out in the heart of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in love, willingly, all three 
in one doing this. Reflex number two is that we should marvel at the plan for our rescue. Before we could hear this message in 2017, before we were born in the 1800s or whatever you guys were born in, 19, wow, uh, yikes. Okay, this is the 9 a.m., so it's probably more likely, to be honest. Um, we, uh, before any of us could ever get here, long-term mapped out was that Jesus was going to do this, that wrath and rescue were going to collide. That, to me, is amazing. That ought to change how we worship. That ought to change how we give, how we serve, how we love our city, and how we love our God. Reflex uh, number three, uh, I think, is, is so crucial in this, is that we, looking at all of what was laid on Jesus and all the stuff that Isaiah 53 lays out for us, you know, our transgressions, our iniquities, if this is as serious as God has to treat this stuff in his wrath, Man, why do we not treat sin as seriously as God? Because if we did, we would stop. Reflex number three is we need to be ruthless with sin. Because I know a lot of us, like, we, we embrace this gift. We, we, we grab onto it on Sunday morning. But then it's kind of like we, we look at what else is out there and we go, you know, I'm just going to, just going to, just going to, just going to tie this onto myself a little bit here going to kind of keep this as part of my life and I'll try to, you know, like, why are we entangling ourselves with the stuff that was laid on Jesus for us? Several times, actually, in the New Testament, uh, in particular, uh, there's one in Colossians chapter 3, where where Paul outlines a a lot of this, this stuff saying, uh, and I'm just going to read a couple verses from Colossians 3, starting in verse 5, where he says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Why? Well, first of all, you've got the gift, so your identity is completely changed. But not only that, verse 6 says in Colossians 3, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And aren't we glad rescue came before that? But on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Why are, we, why are we playing in the garbage still? We shouldn't be because our identity is completely changed, which is why reflex number four is we need to stop condemning ourselves since Jesus has been condemned for us. Romans 8, you know, God condemns sin here And there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our guilt is canceled. It's gone. The the wrath is on him. Yes, there will be conviction because that's part of the gift. Yes, there will be God leading us and guiding us, holding us accountable, transforming us. But that's, that's different. Our guilt is gone because of the collision of wrath and rescue. Reflex number five uh, then uh, I would say if, if we have not kind of gotten this and we've, we've heard this over and over, we really need to react to the collision. In John chapter 3, uh, we read that whoever believes in the Son, in Jesus, one who lived a perfect life, died the death we deserve, came back to life to give us all these gifts, it says, whoever believes in him has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son, John 3, 36, shall not see life. Why? 
but the wrath of God remains on him. That's a serious and sobering thing that we don't want to downplay this morning because it's not downplayed in the work of Jesus. Have you put your trust in this rescuer? Or are you going to face the wrath that he already has faced for you? You can today put your trust in him. Make him your rescuer. Make him your ruler. Give your life to him. Reflex uh, number six, for those of us who have, it's only natural if we understand God's wrath and we understand God's rescue is to join the rescue mission. There are, there are people that you and I know in our lives where John, what John writes in John 3 is true of them. The wrath of God is still remaining on them. But as 1 Thessalonians says, that's not what God has intended. 1 Thessalonians 5 says that, that we have not been destined for wrath but for rescue, to obtain salvation through Jesus. And I'm convinced personally that every time I don't share the gospel, don't share Jesus, don't share the good news, it's it's because I don't have the magnitude of these things at the forefront of my mind. It's like I've forgotten how big and important these things are. Join the rescue mission. One more reflex I want to share is, is to simply look ahead. To look ahead because God's wrath sounds scary and and sometimes maybe even bad. But it's a right and necessary thing. Maybe you're here and you're going, man, this is all, I've heard kind of this stuff before, but Christmas for me right now, the season I'm in, I need something else from God. Like I, I, need, I need some sort of other peace or some sort of encouragement. I need some sort of financial help. There are, there are diseases, there are evil things in, in, my, in my world. There are just bad things are going on around me. We can look ahead to the fact that one day all of these things are going to be gone forever because his wrath is going to remove all evil, all injustice, all sickness, all sin, all grief. And aren't we glad that rescue has arrived before that's even happened? Our God is an amazing God who willingly, lovingly allowed wrath and rescue to collide at Christmas. And how are wrath and, gonna, and, how are wrath and rescue going to lead us to some sort of reflex today? God, we are so grateful that we don't have to do anything but put our trust in you You've taken what we deserve. Upon you was the punishment that brought peace. May this change us. May this affect how we worship even right now. May we join your rescue mission and celebrate it like never before.